Hello, hello, it's Lauren Espajo, your host of You Had Me at Yellow, a podcast where Asian Americans come to air it all out. We are back, y'all. What is up? We are back in full effect. We have 13, 14 more episodes left for you this season, season one. So I'm very excited to bring you these conversations that I shared with other Asian Americans. This episode is with my guest, Sor Zhang. And we talked about what it's like to be a queer Asian, especially during these times, and what social justice looks like for the community. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Sor Zhang. So please introduce us to yourself and let us know more about who you are and what you do. Yeah, um, so my name is Bank Sorjong, which I, that's a mouthful. Mm-hmm. I use sore often because it's shorter and it's more aesthetically pleasing to write out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, a little bit about myself is that I am a cisgender queer Asian male. And I currently right now, I am working full-time at a nonprofit organization doing a lot of like advocacy work in addition to like outside of work stuff i have some artistic hobbies here and there i really like to dance and i also enjoy doing a lot of like visual arts like paintings and whatnot oh awesome um yeah so those are some of the things that i like to do cool what kind of painting did you i do traditional painting i don't really have a style because i'm not very good at it it's more of like how i start my days or i or how I like unwind after a long day. This also is very uh, therapeutic. I can't say that word. What's repetitive? The word? Um, repetitive. Not repetitive. It's very calming. Ah, yeah, yeah, calming. yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm a graphic designer myself, so I went to oh, school cool. for art. So whenever somebody says they did anything art related, I get excited. So. <laughs> say, say, honestly. <laughs> right. You're like, yeah. oh, like, oh my god. god. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned that you work for a nonprofit. You're a community organizer, correct? Mm-hmm. So yeah, can, so... Yeah, can you tell us, like, how you started working for... Is it the Asian American Organizing Project? Yes. And, like, so how you or- started? Yeah, go ahead. So the organization that I work in is called Asian American Organizing Project, and it's a nonprofit, nonpartisan engagement organization. And so how I got started was like, so I finished high school in 2016, took a year off because I didn't want to jump right into school immediately like all of my other peers. And that's mostly because I kind of knew what I wanted to do a little bit. I want to do something related to art or something that uh, has some art components into it. And I didn't want to go to the traditional route of like going to college and mm-hmm. figure out what I want to do in middle college. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took a year off. In my year off, I like work full time and then I like also supported myself I live on my own since I was like 19 so I've been um like very independently uh, living on my own and, and since I was working and I was there wasn't any school I have a lot of free time and so I wanted to do some volunteer work I don't know what like came about over me but I was like I want to do some volunteer work and engage with my community so I, so that's how I got interested in doing a lot of volunteer work mm-hmm. and then I talked to my friend and my friend like referred me to this person who I like added on Facebook and like she actually accepted my Facebook request and then so I messaged her I was like hey this is who I am right this is 
what I really want to do is I want to do some volunteer work within the Asian communities. Mm. I was asking for her to point me in a, a direction. And she's like, oh, yeah, I, uh, I run a nonprofit organization. Oh. You should come over. <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah, like, so, look at um, that. Yeah, so I uh, end up accidentally, basically accidentally scheduling myself uh, a meeting with DED, <laughs> the executive mm-hmm. director of the organization that I work now. So that's how I got into my organization. I actually started as an intern. Mm-hmm. Uh, within my internship, I did a lot of work around mental health and some engagement and tying mental health and some engagement together. What I really enjoyed about my internship is the fact that like it was very free. So my internship here, I came in, they're like, hey, like what are you are passionate about, right? right? What are some things that you want to address? What are some things you want to address to the community? I was like, oh, I want to talk about mental health. I want to bring visibility to this. They're That's like, cool. Awesome. Um, yeah. So they gave me like basically freedom to do however I want to do with that. They're like, we are here. We're here to support you. Let us know what kind of resources you need. Also, like, let us know what kind of like training you need. And so through that, I was able to uh, build relationships with other organizations. In my internship year, I did a partnership with NAMI in Minnesota. Oh, yes, I do know NAMI. I'm familiar with them. So that's the yeah. NAMI. Remind me what it stands for in, for Mental um, Alliance or something. Yeah, it's National Alliance of Mental Illness. Right, right. Awesome. Yeah. So I partnered up with the Minnesota chapter here. And the one in Minnesota is well known for their legislative works around mental health mm. uh, and whatnot. So I ended up partnering with NAMI Minnesota and we, with one of their program, program advisor there, we created this uh, subgroup called the, the Mental Health Young Advisory Board, which consists of POCs working around mental health in a very cultural lens, as opposed to traditional NAMI's work, which is very like Eurocentric lens. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, within my internship, I also like develop a resource list one of the biggest things that I worked on was figuring out how to get my communities to apply for the mental health care specialist, right. which is a workforce that's up on the uh, up and going, right? Mm-hmm. That's one of the more recent workforce that's rising up. Mm-hmm. And that is in Minnesota, there's actually funding for people to get trained. And then once they're trained, they will give you in position to actually start working as a oh, peer specialist. That's so great. Yeah. And so what I was thinking, I was like, you know, that not only like helps visibility around mental health but it also normalizes it too right like people are able to work while having those mental health needs right that's so amazing so that's what I did in my internship and then my advisors and supervisors they're like hey we want to bring you on board as a full-time staff Um, so (laughs) after like (laughs) five-ish months I was hired as a full-time staff and that's how I got started in my organization that's so cool. I love that story. You, yeah. It sounds like you did a lot of amazing work, even just as an intern. So that's dope. So, yeah, yeah like you, you, were, you touched upon it, but you said mental health is like something near and dear to you. Like, and especially in our community, it has mm-hmm. a huge stigma. So mm-hmm. how do you think that we can sort of break out of this cycle and change the narrative? Yeah. So these are just my thought process. I am by no means an expert. <laughs> But so the way that I've been approaching mental health is mm. changing the way how we actually talk about mental health, right? And the the advisory board that I was at, we talk about not addressing mental health as mental health, but 
addressing it in a different lens. So for example, instead of asking, hey, how is your mental health, right? And start asking communities about like, hey, what does wellness look like to you, right? Mm. Because that addresses physical, mental, emotional needs. And it also, because the word mental health itself is very, even the word mental health itself, it, to me, it seems very stigmatizing, right? Right. Um, it, like it's an ill, it, it is an illness, but it also has a lot of negative connotations behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, especially when we're addressing mental health with like the older generations, right? So we start addressing it to our older generations more around like, hey, what does wellness look like to you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the response that we were able to get was like, a oh, wellness is the ability to cook for my family, right? Mm-hmm. If there, are, if someone who is normally really well really like that really enjoys cooking for the family right and so they are unable to do that right that is uh, a mental need mental health needs right right and for ex- another example that we got out of that when we start addressing in that framework to our communities um especially in the black community maintenance of your hair right that right, right. that is a huge uh, identifier around mental health right if someone is always having like a fresh look of their hair all the time <laughs> and then suddenly like they mm-hmm. don't have the same capacities to do the same maintenance, mm-hmm. that is a huge identifier that this person might be having something going on in their life, right? Mm, that's a great point. In addition to that, we also I also start thinking about like looking at from like a multi-generation perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so looking from my perspective, I can see like the medical needs of mental health but also see like the cultural uh, context behind it too right and then seeing it that from my parents perspective where they don't necessarily see the mental health side of it but they do see like the side effect of it right so one of the things that I did as an intern in my organization is that we do a lot of phone banking door knocking right so through the phones and through the doors I was able to have over like 200 conversations with the Asian communities of the Twin Cities and a lot of them don't know what mental health is right but Mm -hmm. the interesting thing is that a lot of them do know the symptoms like they they can clearly describe you what the symptoms are Mm -hmm. or how they're feeling right Mm -hmm. i mean that those are mental health systems and i think what we really need to do is really start thinking from the like the cultural perspective and then bridging that cultural perspective to like what are their needs as an individual person but also as a collective too right because you mentioned earlier how the mental health sort of world is kind of Eurocentric in their narrative mm-hmm. and like how they speak to patients. Mm-hmm. And it's something definitely that like stood out to me that you said, because it's very true. We need to, you know, really know who our audience is, especially if we're talking about like the Asian community and then talking about something so important like mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that was really interesting that you pointed it out for sure. And I feel like maybe not a lot of people realize that either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and there's like, there's even to the point where like we need uh, professional and psychiatrists and therapists to like really be trained in the cultural context. Right, right? totally. Um, yeah, so in high school, I, so my high school was really weird to the fact that we have like a small clinic inside of our high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was also a psychiatrist in that small clinic in the way that like I like discuss my like mental health needs to her mm-hmm. and how like she responded to me she's like oh have you tried talking to your parents I'm like, like well, do you know if you knew the <laughs> cultural context that is a really right. hard conversation so, and so that's why I think we really also just need like specialized 
or like sensitivity training or something yeah. like that yeah totally yeah. i get that um, a thousand percent because in my experience with my mental health is like all my doctors have been mainly white and mm-hmm. if i if i have had doctors who are like people of color or folks of color i should say then it's been very very rare you know what i mean and mm-hmm. so that plays a lot into the culture because my parents will just be like oh they don't get like they don't get it mm-hmm. yeah so and that's it, like yeah. a huge missing piece of the puzzle where it's like you're trying yeah, to and, you're you're already in a you're already in a good place where you're you're getting the help but then the help yeah. itself could use help in <laughs> too yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it needs refining <laughs> right, right right that's the word yeah so we did touch upon like how we can encourage the open discussion of mental health and you mentioned how like that is a difficult thing especially like from our generation to the generation before us so what is what are some things that we could do in our community to like make the discussion regarding mental health more open yeah i think for me at least i've been trying to like have these conversations where people well i start within like my peers right people that i can have these easier conversations with and I think that's really where it is. It has, at least I believe, generally believe that like these conversations needs to come out of like a one-on-one conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, because imagine trying to address mental health to like your family <laughs> or like a group of friends. I'm like, that is intimidating. And mm. it's something that's really hard to talk about too. Mm. Um, but I think when you limit it on that and go, when it comes down to like one person out to one person, it makes it a lot more accessible to talk about it. And it's it's easier to show vulnerability to talk about mental health and your needs too, right? Right. I agree with that. It's also... Um, and then I was also going to say something about like addressing it with like our parents as well. I think, at least for me, I've been trying to figure out a way how to address it with my parents or address it with my sisters. Mm. Um because they, so a little bit of context on my parents and my families, we moved to the U.S. in like 2006, right? So that's like a little bit over a decade ago. Um, that and my parents are like survivors of like wars and traumas, right? Mm. Um, so I've been trying to figure out how do I address their own individual traumas while being able to distinctively like, how do I explain this? So um, I don't know if you ever experienced this, but mm-hmm. when you're, when someone is talking about their traumas and even though you may not experience it personally, that's still like transfer to you, right? Secondhand traumas. Mm-hmm. I think something that, especially our generation, when we have the understanding of the perception to talk about mental health to our parents, I think we really need to also like take care of ourselves too, right? Be able to talk about mental health to them, talk address their traumas in a way that doesn't like carry on to us. Um, yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. Yeah. It's... And, yeah, so one example is that, like, mm-hmm. um, my parents will always talk about, like, the war histories and, like, their experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I've always, like, hear growing up and soaking those narratives. And essentially, those secondhand traumas then transferred to me, too, right? And I'm mm-hmm. like, I need to recognize that the traumas of the sometimes the emotions I'm feeling are not necessarily my own, but they're mm-hmm. the fact, it's the fact that I'm absorbing what my parents are talking about, right? Right, right. It's almost like, it's almost like you want to be empathetic mm-hmm. to their experience, but at the same time, you don't want to take it on mm-hmm. because cause I, I know how that is where it's almost like when a friend vents to you about something really intense and you, you want to help them, but you're just like, oh, I love this person so much. Like, 
but I don't want to take on their the, the weight of like what they just mm. shared with me. You know what I mean? Because yeah. because everyone has their own weight to carry as well. You know? Mm. Yeah, I I can understand that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So sort of like switch gears a tiny bit from mental yeah. health <laughs> um, I feel like we could go on and on we definitely now. could like it's such a great topic and I'm really appreciative of like your perspective especially since you've done a lot of work in it like <laughs> thank you yeah, yeah yeah of course so this question is is more towards like queer communities mm-hmm. so visibility for queer communities is something that's come up a lot recently especially in like the media and trans folk and the hashtag we won't be erased like can you talk more about what it's been like in your experience or just like about this topic in general yeah so i don't have a lot of like experience with because i have not been able to keep up with what's happening right um, right from my understanding i feel like so also correct me if I'm wrong, but recently the Trump administration, they're proposing something about legally defining what gender is, right? And I feel like that itself is encaged that like that policies or potential policy mm. is going to erase so many people's identity and it's going to bring them back to where they started off with, right? Absolutely. Which is scary for who they are. Absolutely. Um, and I think we really need to figure out how we really need first we really need to fight back on that um, but also really understand like the histories of like the queer communities and whatnot too especially yeah. transgender folks right mm-hmm. something that i've been able to read up on is that like gender dysphoria is still is technically a medical like terms right i don't have personal experience because i'm not trans and I do have, like, folks who are, I don't have friends that are, like, trans, and they have been able to talk about, like, their experience about, like, you know, what it means to be trans, right? And the fact that mm-hmm. they need a psychiatrist to sign a paper Ugh. in order for them to get the medical needs that they Ridiculous. need. Like, the fact that they needed a third party to verify this person's need, right? Like, basic um, human needs, as, such as yeah. healthcare, is just so ridiculous that, yeah, like, I need to go to someone... Yeah, like, I just can't wrap my head around that. Like, why someone thought that was okay to do. Yeah. Yeah. And similarly to that, I think, I don't know, I'm not entirely sure if this is accurate, but I think in the past, like, gay and basically homosexuality was also considered a medical need as well in the Mm -hmm. past. Mm -hmm. And now it's no longer a medical need, right? I think something that we can definitely, a tangible thing that we can fight for is, like, branding that like gender dysphoria to the breaking it down to the fact that it won't be a medical need anymore it could right. just be how we see sexuality as like an experience right it's something that people know mm-hmm. who they are right absolutely um, yeah yeah and it's what like even at one point yeah like even at one point it was illegal mm-hmm. to have to have this like as a part of your life and it just doesn't make sense i feel like i feel like i'm a a huge ally to mm-hmm. queer folk and the LGBT community. And it just, I'm like a huge empath. So I'm not saying that I, I have any idea what, you know, it feels like to hear these things in the news. It must be so scary and daunting and frightening to just have like your identity be talked about in such a way. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. so I just feel like as a cisgender 
a woman and straight person, like you, we have to be super sensitive when we talk about these things, but then also like hold our brothers and sisters and Mm -hmm. otherwise up, you know? Mm-hmm. And 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 also to like check our privilege. You get what I'm saying? Because yeah. yeah, because so many people say what I just said, but then don't realize like, hey, you don't you have you really honestly have no clue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think something that I've seen in the past is like, what does ally British look like, right? And there's mm. been, like people who are like, oh, I'm an ally of people of color. Right, but their voice is so much louder than the voice of the people that needs to be right. heard. I'm like, is that really an ally though? Like, and mm. I think the same thing goes to <laughs> like trans folks too, right? Uh-huh, like, absolutely. their voice needs to be the upfront and center, and our voice just needs to amplify their voice, right? There you go. Um, there you go. And one one way that we can like support that is like even on like our daily interaction with trans folks, just like something that my organization practices is like asking for pronouns right i'm like oh hey like what do you what are your gender pronouns yeah what do you prefer right super considerate um, in addition yeah. to that too like also like when you introduce a sub like hey this is me and i use these gender pronouns creating a cultural norm around telling people your pronouns and also asking people for their pronouns because mm-hmm. something as little as that can be so validating for someone who have trans experience mm-hmm. absolutely like and just going into that like Thanks to your like kind suggestion, like I didn't even realize that I wasn't using like more inclusive gender pronouns. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I have been exposed to, of course, like like you said, in organizations and you kind of, you know, do the icebreaker and you go around the circle and say your name and your gender pronouns and et cetera. So mm-hmm. thanks so much for that. And why like can you talk to a little bit more about why these are important and Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. So there's thing that came to mind when I like commented on that <laughs> so the first thing is that gender pronouns is just so I think we should just create a cultural norm around asking for gender pronouns mm-hmm. it just seems right in addition to that I, I think we also need to start elevating like the voice of the women in our lives too right like especially like women of color who have been like the forefront of the work especially around like social justice and activism right mm-hmm. and I think there's 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 been a societal there's been norms around like when you address a group of people I'm like hey you guys I'm like mm, that doesn't seem right because a that eliminates the voice of like a lot of the women in that space I mean also eliminates the voice the voice of like any folks that doesn't identify as a guy right and so I think mm. so yeah so I think that's one of the reasons why like I give back suggestions that and especially when we're talking about like there's in the Asian communities, there's been like words or that are that are like very gender based words, right? Like Latinos or like Filipinos, right? All of those refers to a group of people, but it's those highlighting a specific identity. And I think we really need to break those down because the reality is that a lot of the social justice work has been carried by like a lot of women of color and like trans women. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks so much for that again. Mm-hmm. So, sort of wrap up, like, oh my gosh, we had such a dope conversation. I feel like we touched oh my on... God, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we touched on so many good things like that the, yeah. that our community needs to know about or if they already do know about it or are familiar with it, mm-hmm. give a little bit more insight into, like, your experience and, like, open up their minds a little bit. So, 
yeah, like what's next for you? Where can we find you on the socials and your any websites? Yeah. <laughs> Shameless yeah, self-promotion. So, <laughs> so I don't really use social media, but I the one social media that I use the most is probably Instagram. And that's mostly just to do like a photo journal mm, of like cool. the experience I have or to like put something out there. So yeah, my Instagram is sore underscore X. That's X-O-R-R underscore X. Mm-hmm. Um, as for what's next for me, I think I, well, I'm still working on my organization and my role has shifted a little bit. Mm. Um, so what's next for me is growing into that new role, right? So when I was an intern, my role was around like doing issue work. Um, I should do more of like I actually don't know what my role is. I do a lot of things. <laughs> you like jack of all trades. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my title is community organizer, but I my my work specifically work with four organizations that my organization give microfundings to. Mm-hmm. These organizations work directly with like the Vietnamese community, the Khmer communities, the Filipino community, and the mm. Tibetan communities. So I will be working alongside four organizations that we give out fundings to and to like grow their base and as well as to like help and support the organizational needs to develop like strategies with them, develop like infrastructures for the organization. While doing that, all of that, I'm still participating, doing a lot of this and engaging work within the Asian communities here in the Twin Cities. That is so amazing. Thank you so much for reaching out to me. Of course, I couldn't. Like my my whole goal with the when you had me at Yellow Podcast is to really reach out to almost everyone in our community mm-hmm. and like make them know like your experience is valid and we need to share that A mm-hmm. with each other and B with everyone else so that yeah. things like representation of us in the media and whatever mm-hmm. else in the government is really well more well represented you know what i'm saying because like the more we talk about these things like that have a stigma or like our hush hush in our community that way we can be more open about it and like teach our future generations and the younger generations like hey like look how open we are about talking about it like you can do the same thing and it's okay Mm -hmm. for you to be who you are you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks again so much for doing this. Yeah, um, I have one question. I of course. totally forgot where you're based at. I'm in New York. Okay, sweet. Yeah, so I'm in New York, uh, yeah. born and raised, and all that good stuff. <laughs> maybe, uh, yeah. maybe the next years or so, I will visit New York. Yeah, yeah definitely hit me up if yeah. you come through. Be one of me and my friends. So we're like... 2021 mm-hmm. and we're like let's do let's make a 10 list of what to do before we turn 30 i'm like okay yep nice 30 the thing 30 things to do before you're 30 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. awesome right, so well, yeah it was nice talking to you it was great talking to you too that was my conversation with Zhang, and i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did as you may know if you're new to this show or if you're a regular, thank you for listening. I close out each episode with a mental health and wellness gem. And this episode, I was inspired by an Instagram post by What is Mental Illness, where they break down things that don't define you and things that actually define you. I think it's important to draw the line of distinction between these two things. So things that don't define you are your mistakes, your problems, your thoughts, or your illness and disability. So just to break that down real quick, 
your thoughts as much as they seem real and they seem like they're telling you the truth they might not it might be lies that your anxiety or your depression are telling you so it's really important to decipher which thoughts are positive and which ones are misleading so those are things that don't define you and things that actually define you i feel like this list is longer for a reason so these things can be your experiences like out and about in the world your perspective your point of view on things your personality what makes you you your creativity like what makes the spark within you light up your goals where you want to be you know what's on that vision board your hobbies and passions what drives you your attitude and your habits those things are what actually define you and i really love this post because it breaks everything down and it made me realize like wow yeah my mistakes my problems all those things they they don't define me they're not what make me me so that's my wellness done for this episode i hope you enjoyed this conversation today and thank you for listening and that's all folks till next time <laughs>